Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. E-S-N-Y. So, look, it has been a rough summer for the Yankees as we enter Bleacher Creatures episode number 162 for the long 162-game season. Brought to you, as always, by XL Media, Crossing Broad, Elite Sports NY, Warwick Gaming, and, as always, RiverQuest NYC. All right, so as we as we do this, the Yankees have just come off a very bad uh, three-game series in Colorado, the National League worst Rockies. Uh, James, I don't oh, – we got James Cratch, the managing editor of ESNY here with us today. Uh, James, uh, I don't know how much of that series you you watched. I mean, you saw my takeaways. What what did you take away from that series in particular? The main thing I took away is the Yankees' bullpen, which people act like is big strength, they blow a lot of games for what is considered an elite bullpen. Still, still they, the best ERA in the majors. Still the best ERA in the majors. They blow a lot of games. And they just, you know, I go back to, I think it was when they were playing the Cubs, I want to say. Um, I was in the car listening to the radio, and they had a couple runners on. They didn't, they didn't move anyone over. They didn't get a run. In, and John Sterling just went, like, by John Sterling's standards, ballistic for how the Yankees don't manufacture runs they they don't do the things you need to do to win games they end up losing that game to the cubs sort of reminded me of that it's like you get this great start from garrett cole and you can't produce you can't manufacture runs and you get yourselves in this situation where even if you bail your bail yourself out you still blow it in that bullpen i think that we're seeing what happened last year, except a little earlier. And Alec, maybe you can weigh in on this as the, as the catcher of the group. Uh, everyone just looks tired. They've been leaned on so hard, so early, so much. And at some point, like you're going to hit a wall, even with the all-star break. And maybe some guys just made, they broke their throwing routine. We don't like, obviously I don't think they did that, but at some point you, you're what you lean on the most isn't going to be so reliable. Yeah, well, I mean, like, it's the criticism that we've had of Aaron Boone for the past few years now coming to fruition yet again, which is that bullpen management and and his inability to maybe trust his starters that are not named Garrett Cole uh, to go deeper into games. I, I think that's what's coming back to, you know, bite them in the ass. Ron Marinaccio is a good pitcher, but he looks tired. Exhausted. He, he, I mean, he can't locate. He, he's all over the place. And then what happens? He gets drilled for. I think it was him, right? He got drilled for the walk off home run. Yeah, he, that was that was Notch. So like, you know, but you just think of like how many games it seemed like he was in at the beginning of the year. Like he, there was a time when he was their number one go to guy, and 
it's taken its toll on him. And he's a young kid, you know, like this is what his second year in the majors. So like it, he'll figure out, I think his routine to help, you know, create a little bit more longevity throughout the year. But I mean, damn, it, like that was bad. That was as bad as it could get. You could just see it. Like whenever he comes in from the bullpen, and I and I noticed this as a, when he first debuted last year. He came in with some inherited runners. He was clearly nervous. You, Ron Marinaccio wears his heart on his sleeve as a pitcher, and he's so tired. He's like you can see in the body language. He's just he's laboring out yeah. there. Like he, this is a guy who knows he has nothing working because he is so damn tired, and he's just trying to figure out. Okay, like how do I? What am I going to chuck over the plate today? Yeah. And so, I I don't know where they go from here. I really don't. Well, part of me wants to say just blow it up, like put put a fork in it. But you know that that is a soul crushing series loss. And you know I was just on MLB.com today, and they were like Yankees frustrated after shocking series loss to the uh, Rockies. And I'm like, well, don't be frustrated. Just play better. Like, like this is all self-inflicted. You guys could not be frustrated if you just knew how to play baseball. And I, 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 said, I even said yesterday, Clay Holmes should not be hanging a sinker right in the middle of the plate in a fastball count. But at the same time, Tommy Canley has to get those outs. Yeah. Like he, he's yeah. more than capable was, of getting those high leverage outs. It was a failure on so many fronts. So like, on you know, you're going down the totem pole. It failed not just that Marinaccio, like, you know, that was the final straw. It's just, you know, it should never have gotten to that point to begin with. Yeah. It's it's tough because you look at the schedule the rest of the way. They've got all these games against the White Sox. They've got all these games against the Royals, the Pirates, the Nationals, Red Sox, the Nationals. So you think to yourself, like, coming out of the All-Star break, I was like, I, this team, in my opinion, is not very good. But I still think they're going to find a way to get to 90 wins solely because they had like 35 games left against bad teams. And I was like, all right, they go 25 and 10. They're basically two-thirds of the way to 90 wins, what they got to get the rest of the way. But then you go lose two out of three of the Rockies. And it's like, okay, well, now you've got to go 23 and eight in these 31 games or 30, you know. And it's just like, okay, well, it's say they drop two out of three of the angels. Well, okay. Like the yeah. numbers get tougher, you know, it sort of becomes like the team across town where you sit there and you say, okay, like this is when the Met we've been saying, this is when the Mets are going to make the run for a month and a half now, two months. And yeah. eventually you run out of space to, to make it. So yeah, it's tough. It's... And I agree with that. Like blow it up. But what, to what point in season? The time to blow it up was last year. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I I think that if we go down the conspiracy theory route, and if you look at just the types of players that that Cashman was adding on okay. top of the very clear three true outcomes philosophy they're trying to implement through Marcus Timms, through Dylan Lawson, uh, there it seems almost as though he's operating as if MLB is going to bring back the juice baseballs. But now that everyone is so aware of it and MLB pretty much caused a lockout over them and lost the big PR war because of them, they're not coming back. 
Like you have to fundamentally change the game to where, okay, the shift is gone. And yeah. Okay. People love it or hate it. Hitting has to change. And you can't juice baseballs. And that's why, despite this series loss, to not to go off on another tangent, I'm actually optimistic about Sean Casey because for the first time in I don't know how long, it seemed that Yankees players stepped into the box and were like, okay, I am here to hit. I'm reading the room. I am here to get a hit. Like, none of this worrying about launching ang- launching an angle or exit velocity. Just see the ball, hit the ball, get on base. No, I, I agree with that. I, I think there's definitely still – look, I don't think – I understand there's probably some personal, not personal issues, but like Lawson wasn't connecting with these guys the way. But to me, I'm like, okay, it's fine. You don't want to scapegoat him. Well, Cashman hired the guy in the first place. To me, it's not like to throw out some crazy hypothetical. The Yankees brought Chris Chambliss back and then realized, oh, like this guy is stuck in 20 years ago. It's not working. You know, they chose yeah. Mr. A- Mr. Binder, Mr. Analytics, Mr. Never played big league baseball. And they said, oh, crap, this doesn't work. And I, I think now I'm like, okay, like you brought Sean Casey in. He's going to be here to be a cheerleader, to support the guys, rah, rah, he can speak their language. But at some point, is it going to really be enough to fix this team? I, I don't think so. I think that at the end of the day, you got to – whatever happens at the end of the season, be it a wild card spot, maybe the Yankees find, like, that magical run in, like, like they did in 2005 and clinch the AL East. I yeah. think that no matter how you spin it, this season was an, was underperformance. They underachieved. <laughs> no, yeah. But – and so then I think now you look, you look forward and figure, okay, um, yeah, you can, you can change out Aaron Boone. Who's going to do a better job? So I, I actually was saving this take for you for this. Okay. So I was thinking about this. All right. Let's say Sean, let's say the Yankees hit better the second half of the season. Okay. We see Rizzo get going. We see LeMahieu get going. We see strides from Volpe. They win 88 games, miss the postseason. Could Sean Casey work his way into being the next manager of the New York Yankees. If everybody Ooh. loves him. He's good with the media. He's he's a, he's a gregarious guy. There is a result on the field. Oh, now, granted, man. And now, granted, whoever is the manager of the Yankees is basically being run from above, but... Yeah. Because here's the thing about firing Aaron Boone. And look, I thought they should have done it last year, but I thought they should have done it in one clean house sweep where you change everything. Yeah. It's going to be really hard for them to go get a manager that replaces what Aaron Boone is because Aaron Boone's probably going to get another job within 15 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Aaron, and he'll Aaron probably Boone, go yeah. with 90. You know, that's the thing. Like, I, I think Aaron Boone might be a perfectly fine manager, but he's just in this situation where he's not the best manager in baseball and he's got this. Yeah. Hard, hardly flawed roster with all these cashman quirks and rules. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing. It's like the transition, it's worked It's worked out in terms of regular season success. The transition from Girardi to Boone was a pretty steep drop-off. Here's a yeah. guy who won the World Series, who's part of the glory days, and out here is a guy who was on Sunday Night Baseball. And, and on the team for like 10 minutes. Bit, 10 minutes, exactly. Yeah. 
So then you go from that to, you know, like bring in Henson Mullins, or you bring in some guy who was the triple A that I don't know if I forget the name of that like so some guy who was the manager of the Rail Riders and all the kids like him. Like, that's hard to do. Yeah. But if it's Sean Casey, you know, it's there's just some juice to that if they hit. Uh, there is some juice that if they hit, I will say this about Sean Casey being hired as the Yankee manager, that would make the Aaron Boone heel turn all the better and more interesting. Cause like he brings in his best friend only to be fired and the same friend takes his job. Yeah. Maybe Casey is a loyal enough guy that he like tells Cashman, no, like screw you. I'm not taking the job. You fired my guy. Um, he could be, although like, I think there's, there's two, there's two tensions to play one. Like it's the Yankees. You know, yeah. if you're going to manage New York Yankees, you kind of got to do it. Two, I think it was a couple of years ago, there was a report that, like, Aaron Boone made a million dollars a year. And, like, that's not a lot of money for these guys. And, like, that's a, not, like, a million a I'm year. Sure for makes, I'm sure he makes more now, but, like. Right. But, like, at, for a first-time manager, especially right now, and, and maybe even, yeah. like, a semi-experienced manager, between $1 and $2 million is about par for the course. Part of the course, but like if you're Sean yeah. Casey and you got a cushy job at MLB Network, you can go back to it's like right. You might have to pay up a little bit, and we all know that Hal doesn't really like to pay up when he doesn't yeah. have to. So, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. All this to say, we're at the trade deadline, and the Yankees are absolutely going to be buyers. Mark Feinsand said today they're looking not just at corner outfield help, relief pitching, which we just talked about. They definitely need another reliever. Uh, they are looking for catching help, which, okay, I mean, you need a very specific target if you're going to try to replace Jose Trevino. Uh, They're also looking for starting pitching, where there's maybe a handful of guys there who could help out. Uh, If if you're in the GM's chair, Cratch, who are you going after and why? So first off, I'm going after Cody Bellinger. I mean, I thought the the report this morning was a little concerning of like, hey, you know, the Yankees could be in on Cody Bellinger, but Randy, Randall Gritchick, like $3 million remaining. Like he might be a fit, but I just thought if that's what we're – first off, we're going to spend the next two weeks with the Yankees pretending that they're in on Shohei Otani. No, uh, I'm, I, no, uh-uh, nope. I, I, I mean, that's, this. that's where this is going. This is going. Um, this is like, uh, here's the thing. Like, if, if This is going to sound crazy, but I was thinking about this today. It would be a total insane move. If I was the Yankees – I would call the Mets and talk about Verlander or Scherzer. All right. And I, and, and return for uh, house for taking that, that contract on whoever it is. I want David Robertson. Yeah. I, I mean, because I, I think if you get Verlander here, if, if you know, he, and Verlander doesn't have the no trade clause. Nope. You get him here. You have him and Cole back to back in a, postseason series you add robertson's the bullpen court nestor gets healthy you start to talk yourself into if the guys we have start to hit maybe we have something here yeah i mean i'm oof. i've wanted david robertson i mean i never wanted him to leave if we're yeah. being completely honest like i never wanted him to leave even when he went to the white Sox. so I think I'm never going to say no to David Robertson, Verlander. I mean, you're 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 banking on 
him being able to manage Yankee Stadium just because he's a pure fastball guy and they have the short porches on both sides. I mean, I don't know. Alec, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I got a little bit of a chuckle when I saw that article about, like, what the Yankees are going to go after because it's like, well, damn, it sounds like they're going to go after a completely new team. Um, <laughs> but I agree with James where, you know, I, I would like to see Bellinger um, – you know, possibly be a realistic target for the Yankees to go after. And just, I want to say real quickly how nice it is to see both Bellinger and Yelich have such bounce back years. Is Yelich uh, having a bounce back year? I haven't really been following. Yeah, he's hitting about 280 with like, I think as many home runs as he had last year. So he's, you know, he's not MVP level, but he's, you know, it's good to see that because those are two like some really good players. I always love to enjoy. But anyway. Uh, yeah, quick, Bellinger. quick, quick, sorry, quick Christian Yelich story. Uh, I, uh, that MVP year, we went to the, I was at the, uh, the awards dinner when he got the trophy that like he was mod for autographs. That was someone who was not ready to be like a top tier star. He was, yeah, he, yeah, you could see how overwhelmed he was. Yeah. I mean, he, like, so bellinger would be a really intriguing option um i i can't see the yankees going to the mets for any help um but i i don't know there's they're all the yankees are going to be linked to otani as you said they're going to be linked to soto it's going to be this never-ending kind of just nausea inducing you know media reel of who's like these are the big name Yankees are going to go after and this is who they need to trade um honestly I I I can't imagine that going I, I personally don't think going for it or going with the idea that hey we have a legitimate shot of contention is necessarily the best idea I I it's hard to it it's hard for me to admit but there's not enough intriguing options out there outside of a guy like Bellinger for me to be like, yeah, you get that piece, and then you get these two pieces, then then we're talking, then we're cooking, because you know, at what point in in this timeline do they have to make these moves by? Because as they keep squandering series like they did against Colorado, that distance between them and you know the top of their division, and then eventually the wild card, it's wider and wider. Are there enough players out there on the market that we feel confident in like the Yankees can go out and get them at reasonable prices to catapult themselves back into contention? I'm just not as confident in, in thinking that. No, I think I've written this. The only way I look at it, they can transform this team at the deadline is they have to convince Stanton to wave a no trade clause and, and go and, and look, they're not going to get Otani. I think there's like a sliver of a path with Soto that you could talk Stanton into going to the Padres. Hey, you're still going to be in a race, you know, in theory. You're going to get planet money. If you're the Padres, you say, okay, like we're not we're not completely bailing on the idea of having this super team. We're just getting someone who's older but a little bit more cost effective. And I know like there was all this talk that Soto needs his own team, but Soto's at the point now where he's not going to get – the $450 million contract that the Nationals offered him that he turned down. So he's got to take whatever he can get. and He might get – he's got to recoup as much as he can in New York. One last guy, I know that the Guardians are in this perpetual, like, are they sellers, are they buyers, what should they do thing in the Yale Central? What a bad division. Just for, What like, a bad division. 
Stephen Kwan, if I'm the, like a true leadoff hitter, maybe oversell, pay a little bit with some prospects. I just wonder, like, what would this team look like if they had a true, you shore up left field, you have a true leadoff hitter, you can, Volpe can hit ninth and just stay there the rest of the year. You know, get yeah. LeMahieu out of that spot. Like, what happens then? Well, because, I mean, like, you know, if you think about it, this lineup doesn't just need a few new pieces injected. It needs a complete makeover in the sense where, you know, I, I never – based off of what we were seeing in 2016 and 2017, I never thought that we would be right back here in such a quick amount of time of being an old, slow, unathletic lineup. And, you know, especially now with Judge out you know, for however long he's going to remain out, you know, you got guys like Rizzo, you got guys like Stanton, Donaldson, you know, these are guys who are aging poorly. Oh, and do- by the way, Donaldson's not getting traded anywhere. He apparently has a high grade two, maybe a grade three strain of his calf. So he's probably yeah. out for the season. I saw that. I was like, he got two opinions. I'm like, the Yan- whichever doctor had the worst opinion, like the Yankees will take that one. Uh, however, however, I just got this notification from Mark Feinsend. Yankees are apparently eyeing Dylan Carlson of the Cardinals. That's not a bad idea. I mean, that that kind of fills in the idea of they get a little younger, they get a little bit more athletic. Same thing with Stephen Kwan. Um, you know, they just they need to get back to get back this is the yankee way they've been doing for as long as either of us can remember but you know they need to get away from just getting the marquee names for the sake of getting the name and they just gotta get ball players you know you look that... at are playing better than them and on paper you wouldn't think that they are a better team than the new york yankees but it's just at the end of the day they are ball players like i'm, I'm looking at the baltimore orioles right now i have the game on and they you know they blew a 4-1 lead they're losing 6-4 to the dodgers but you look at the guys they have in their lineup. They got Gunnar Henderson, who, who you know, has an 810 OPS. Then you have Rutschman, who has an 812 OPS. Santander, 844. O'Hearn, 866. I mean, like, you don't get those numbers anymore from a Yankees team. Unless you're Aaron Judge. Like, that, the problem with the Yankees, and it, it's – I'm going on, I'm going on a rant right now, so I apologize. Uh, but like as a guy who's living in Philadelphia right now and is watching the Philadelphia Phillies, it's interesting the that like the dichotomy between the two because the Phillies have a lot of good complementary pieces. It's the big guys aren't performing, right? So the Phillies got guys like Bryson Stott who are hitting around 300 is one of the best two strike hitters in baseball, just slaps the ball wherever he wants to. Really fun to watch. You got Alec Bohm who's hitting 284. He's just Alec Bone, professional hitter. It's awesome. Harper, the power is down, obviously coming off an injury, but he's Bryce Harper. And then you got the disappointing seasons coming from Schwarber to an extent. He's got 26 home runs. He's got an on-base percentage over 300, even though his batting average is under two. Uh, and then you have Turner, who hasn't quite lived up to the billing yet. And then you have Nick Castellanos, who's fantastic. Their struggles, they haven't their own reasons but the big guys aren't quite carrying their weight as they should be even though that the complementary pieces are doing more than enough with the yankees it's not only is are your big pieces not performing it's now you don't have any good complementary pieces to help shore up that gap it's kind of the same thing we talked about last year where the frustrations of having hicks ikf and donaldson in the same lineup is you could get by with ikf production i have no problem with him as a ball player it's just that when you combine that with aaron hicks being a black hole and then when you have donaldson being a black hole like all of a sudden that's a third of your lineup 
It's not producing. Not producing. And we find ourselves in the same exact spot because <laughs> Brian Cashman tries to gaslight an entire fan base. But anyway. It, it goes back to like this, like almost like, I, I swear to God, I, I felt like I was writing one of the Federalist Papers when I was doing this uh, the other day. It just goes to like this pretty much treatise I wrote about Sean Casey really being a litmus test for how we're going to approach hitting in baseball going forward. Because for like 20 odd years, these people with a computer said, oh, everyone's shifting. So instead of like using the whole field, you know what? Just hit over the entire shift. Let's just like murder the ball over that and cue a bunch of Joey Gallows. Now, like you have guys who have been there, like Sean Casey, who have worked to count, who have read a field, who have like been in that situation. Like, okay, wh- what's the state of the game right now? Where's the base runner? What do I need to do? It's like, it's like I said in the article: Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, like all these old-time guys. They're not talking about pitch shape. They're not talking exit velocity. They're not talking about launch angle. They're talking, okay, where are we going to go hang out after the game? They're saying, okay, is this a pitch in the strike zone? Great. I'm going to take a swing and see what I can do with it. That's all you need to do in the box. See the ball, hit the ball, stuff like weighted on base average, isolated power. Those are measuring sticks. They are not talent evaluators. That's the end of my rant. No, and like I've never understood why baseball has gone so far into this when the other sports haven't. Now, I granted, I know there's a tremendous amount more volume and data and things to track with baseball kind of plays into this. But I just go back to, I think we may have discussed in the past, the whole idea of Moneyball, like, yes, it it helped the A's find some inefficiencies and, and win with the payroll they had. The biggest issue was they had Barry Zuto, Tim Hudson, and Mark Mulder. Like that's why they were great. Yeah, and like and, and they had Jason Giambi at the time. It was like, oh, that's what happened. And, and eroded up Miguel Tejada. Exactly. It was like, well, we got these three, three of the, the five best pitchers in baseball at that moment. That's yeah. why we're winning a lot. And. Yeah, it's just like, well, if they had spent more time on base running, they would have beaten the Red Sox in the 2003 ALDS. You know, Eric <laughs> Burns would have touched home plate, and we wouldn't be, eh, the whole world would have changed. But anyway, so, and then in 04, the Red Sox use Moneyball, and then they get to the trade deadline, like, okay, we have, like, the worst defense in, you know, modern history, basically. We have to fix this. Let's go trade for Orlando Cabrera, because Nomar can't <laughs> even bend down anymore. Yeah. And then, like, they kind of – they won the World Series with Moneyball, but they fixed all the inefficiencies of Moneyball because they had the money on the fly. So, yeah, it's just they go through this rabbit hole. And, Josh, you're right. Like, it's, just, it's baseball. Like, they just need to play baseball. And it seems like – I thought they were getting to that point where they got rid of Gallo. And, you know, like a guy like like Volpe, like, he's struggling, but he, he plays baseball. You know, he hits the ball. He steals bases yeah. when he gets on. He has some power. I mean, And I thought they were getting to that point. But – there's just not – I think the biggest issue this team has had is Rizzo. Yeah, Rizzo, Rizzo is very is just – he's hurt. And he – you know, God bless him. You know, he clearly feels he has to be in the lineup every day. Yeah. But if he was right, I think this would be a different story because he was – you know, like – and it's unfortunate. Like, Bader is what he is. He's always going to have health issues. But, like, when he's out there, like, he – so I feel like they have – they have actual baseball players, quote unquote. Sure. But they're banged up or they're just not quite ready yet to do what they have to do. 
Yeah, and like that that isn't to say that there isn't utility to analytics. I mean, like I like with pitching at 100 makes sense to use them because Alec, you've said this several times, all throughout baseball history, hitting has stayed the same, like but the power's gone up, but pitching has consistently gotten better. Like guys are throwing faster. We, they're spinning the ball better. More pitches are being created. So it makes sense to have for pitchers to have access to all that data so they understand not just how to do their job best, but also just what their bodies are doing. Whereas like with hitting, see the ball, hit the ball. You don't need to worry about like like pitch shape, exit velocity. You, like that's, that's a good tool for developing prospects, but at the pros, you shouldn't need that. No. Yeah, I mean like – it, it all needs to be taken in moderation, and and we've just watched people jump two feet into you know the pond with it. And it's just it it can't be the end all be all. Like like you said, you know, going back to Christian Yelich, I I was a year early on his resurgence. I said last year it was going to be the year where he has a comeback because his metrics are starting to look good again. Um, and then it happens this year. So, like, you know, there are stories to be told and, and pathways to be charted by the numbers. But I, I think I thought you made a, a pretty salient point there where it's like, you know, it's not a talent evaluation. It's just a, a measurement to see if a guy is on and if he's either healthy or, or, or playing hurt, you know. It, but it shouldn't be the way to evaluate talent. You can't just be like, well, this guy has an IO, ISO of XYZ, so if we bring him over, then, you know, we're going to get that, even if he only hits 200. It's like, look, you know, I don't care if a guy's hitting 280 and his OPS is 680, right? You know, it's if the dude's getting on base and he's, he's a table setter at the top of the lineup to let the big boys eat, uh, that's very valuable. Like, you look at some of those um, – like members of the dynastic Yankees in the nineties, you know, they wouldn't have survived in today's game, but you know, you had role players doing what they were good at. And that's why the 1998 Yankees are the greatest team in MLB history. You yeah. know, it's, it's just, you, yeah. you can't make everyone into this, you know, 950 OPS MVP caliber player. Like those guys are few and far between and should be treated as such. Yeah. Like, you know, the the judges, the Otanis, the Trouts, like those guys are unicorns. You can't take some Joe Schmo yeah. who, like, again, going back to witnessing it from a Phillies perspective from yeah. being in Philadelphia, Scott Kingery is the number one example where, like, metrics ruined that dude's career. Yeah, They tried to turn him into something that he's not, and he can't make, he can't find his way back into the majors. And so, like, Numbers are dangerous. They're useful, but they're dangerous because you're going to get these these fanatics just wanting to say, this is how you craft a baseball player, which you can't. It's baseball. There are times where it just doesn't make sense. It is amazing, like, the 98 to 2000 Yankees, like, they kept Louis Soho employed for, like, one at bat a year, basically. Yeah. And he would come through, and it was, that was all worth it. But now it's just – Didn't they bring back Luis Polonia twice as well? Exactly, you know. It's <laughs> yeah. just guys – um, that's uh, the thing too it's like the, those Yankees immaculate grade please sponsor us yes those those <laughs> had guys that would carry the team you know for a, a couple of days or could fill in you know i mean this yankees team has none of those guys you know 2000 yankees don't win the world series on jose viscaino yeah and think about it, like that was a move where like the yankees spent money they probably 
he was probably making $10 million a year to be a backup middle infielder. Do you think these Yankees yeah. would do that? Hell no. No, like, I, I, it's, and it's funny you say that because you look at, you mentioned someone like Jose Vizcaino, and then you see how someone like an Oswald Peraza, like an Ozzy Cabrera, like a, um, oh God, I see him right in front of me. Um, like a Kyle Higashioka, who can who can sort of become that weird hero, and Higashioka has been that hero sometimes. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just very frustrating because, like, pivoting back to the Donaldson deal, I remember when it happened. Yeah, anytime you take on a player who is in their mid late thirties, you're assuming a risk that they're going to decline. And Cashman did assume that risk, especially when he took on the money. And if you look at Donaldson's Savant page for 2021, it wasn't a bad trade because like my main take, like I remember, I think Alec, you and I were talking about this, how like, okay, he's not going to have a great batting average. He's going to strike out a lot, but he's not going to swing at any pitches out of the zone. He's not going to chase bad pitches. Comes to the Yankees with Dylan Lawson and all of a sudden he's swinging at all the bad pitches. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, again, that, that is a tool to where you know, you look at trends, you look at what, like, a hitter's profile may be, and you try to hope, okay, the numbers look like he's hit, he still hits the ball hard. If he can get yeah. the ball elevated, you can take the good with the bad. Again, when you have three or four players in your lineup like that, that's not a recipe for success. And then when it became evident that Josh Donaldson was just not the answer, yeah. Like, yeah, you give him a year, you go into a little bit this year, and then it's the same shit over and over again. And now he's injured for what the second time this season, yeah, like, yeah. And like, because it, it, it's like I was, I was about, I was gonna say earlier, sorry, because I, because I got off on a rant there, but you assume that he's gonna decline, you, you don't assume that, that he's gonna fall off a cliff, yeah. But the problem with Cashman is, you know, we see, we see him falling off the cliff. We, we, we see Donaldson just plummeting. Right. And we, the same way we saw Hicks plummeting. There was, you know, we see these guys, they just completely fall off. And instead of just being like, okay, we got to move on to the next thing, Cashman's telling you, oh, no, well, we can catch him and we can put him right back onto the cliff. And I promise you, he's not going to fall off again. And it becomes this just like this insanity of, you know, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting something different to happen. And like well, that's that's the most frustrating part as a Yankee fan, where it's like, you know, yeah, we are probably half a season now too late with Donaldson. Like we should have had a like we should have we should have been quicker in terms of finding a solution rather than just letting this letting time play out and be like, oh, don't worry, he's gonna find it. He's gonna find it. Okay, well, it's almost August, he's hurt. Now we're scrambling to, you know, have his replacement. We, I'm like, yes, we called up Peraza, you know, and I think Peraza is going to be a good player. But, like, now we're in a situation where we fought, the Yankees have fallen to the bottom of the AL East. They're two games out of the wild card. And now our entire left side of our infield is under 24 years old. We'll, we'll put a bow on this with this. I mean, like, as much as we criticize Cashman, A, he's still good enough at his job that he's going to keep the job. B, he's broken out of his comfort zone enough times in the last several months that he has to be aware that the system's broken. And I think Hal might've told him as such uh, before getting him the new contract, but he's clearly seeing changes need to happen. I hope that Sean Casey works out the Yankees. We can only hope for the best because what a disappointing season. It's like, no matter how you spin it, it's a disappointment. 
Yeah. Anyway, uh, happier news. Uh, the reason James Cratch is here with us today is that uh, recently during the All-Star break in the ESNY Slack chat, we were talking about what changes would we make to the game? And we uh, we had the usual things. Some said get rid of interleague play. I said get rid of the the three batter rule for pitchers. James, you uh, kind of went all in. And Alec is also a soccer fan here. The FA Cup, but for baseball. <laughs> yeah, so I press this like, this, I'm not my original idea. Other people have said it, writ- written it before. I think MLB reportedly even kicked the tires on it. Um yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of inspired by the NBA, this new in-season tournament, which just is like just a bad knockoff of the FA Cup to me. Yeah. Um, but I feel like baseball could actually, of all the sports in the U.S., baseball could capture the essence of it um, in a way that these others can't. And you know, obviously we got 30 major league teams. We got 120 of, you know, affiliated clubs, A-ball, AAA. I say throw in the 45 independent league teams they're in the partner leagues. And just because I was feeling particularly frisky, I was like, what if the returning? So if you're going to have the 2024 nation series, I called it um, the 2023 division one, two and three national champions college baseball would get invites. Okay. Obviously the players might not be the same, but the teams would like you would earn your invite to the nation series. So basically do it like the FA Cup. You know, you just have rounds and rounds of, you know, knockout games. And then eventually the big league teams show up. You know, I said, I think it's like the fourth round. You put 28 big league teams in the field. The fifth round, you know, the, the World Series champion and, and the reigning AL or NL pennant winner can go in last. Yeah. And you just would figure out a way to make it work through the schedule. You know, there'd be so much money to be made that the players association and and the league office would, would be wise to work together. You know, you could start the season a couple of days early. Um, I, I have always, I've never understood why we don't do that already and just basically rig it. So the Yankees might start the season on the road every year, but you know, they'd be in Tampa or they'd be in the Marlins or something like, yeah. Or staggered. So you only have so many cold weather games on a true opening day. Um, and then just you have ten full holidays. You got Memorial Day. You got Fourth of July. You got Labor Day. Like make those nation series days. You know, build Mondays into the schedule or Thursdays. Have a couple of you know pre-scheduled double headers or two. Uh, you know, honestly, as well, uh, we given um, the setup of it all, you could probably make it so that the major league teams probably don't even enter play until about midway through spring training. Yeah, I would. I would say like you know like, they could enter it like they don't have to enter until like May even. Yeah, you, know, you could make it work that way, um, and then you'll know, have the championship game on you know Labor Day, Labor Day. You know, make it a thing. It half so then championship game is over. You still got a month left in the regular season. You know, you yeah. can be creative. Like I would do like the FA Cup where it's just total random draws, but if yeah. you really need to, you know. Like if the bra- the way the bracket lays up, the Yankees are going to play the Tigers in the next round of the thing, and the Yankees are going to play the Tigers a week and a half from then in the regular season game. Just or, or like you want to sell it to Apple, right? Yeah, you you could sell Apple like, hey, Apple, like every time there's a regular season game that we're Friday night, Yankees are starting a three game series in Detroit. That Friday night game is a is the Nation Series game. 
It's also a regular season game. Yeah. If that happens, Apple, you get all of those games, no matter when it's broadcast. Yeah, and like on and on top of that, you can excuse me. You God, I completely lost my train of thought. You can also maybe uh include Japanese teams as well. You can like go I was a little, just about to say. Yeah. Like it, like if you really want to get it to like international so I think that would be cool. Like Yeah, oh I, I remember I remember. So you're uh James, you you made the point and uh and you, you kind of made me made me realize this. The NFL has a monopoly on Thanksgiving. The NBA has a monopoly on Christmas Day. MLB doesn't have one. Like the best they have no. is All Star Week. And they and they could have three of them. They could have Memorial yeah. Day. They could have Fourth of July. They could have Labor Day. You know, yeah. uh, it's just it's very it's there for them. You know, I mean, and I just think like the possibilities you would have would be endless. You know, it would get people involved. Like let's say. Let's say the Oakland Athletics sat there and said, you know what? Like, we're just going to sell out to try to win this thing. Yeah. It would be amazing. Um, you know, one, you know, or like with the independent, like, there are some years, like back in the day, like with the Somerset Patriots back in the glory days when they were in the Atlantic League, they yeah. probably had a team that would beat. Some affiliated team. Uh, yeah, my my you dad. Know. Yeah, like similarly, my my dad used to have season tickets to the Atlantic City Surf, and I remember one summer yeah. Ruben Sierra was on the team. Exactly. You know, <laughs> you know the, the the Long Island Ducks, and they got Daniel Murphy batting leadoff. Yeah. You know, and they, you know, the idea of like, hey, you could have that happen. You know, what happens if the Patriots are playing? You know, the uh, the Harrisburg Senators in an early round game and Aaron judge happens to be doing a rehab assignment for the Patriots. He gets to play in the nation's league game. He hits three home runs, you know, you, you Patriots even, advance. You can find a way to get the Savannah bananas involved. Exactly. You can, well, that's the thing. Like you, you have, I think you have to have your know, FA cup has the semi pro teams. I think you have to have those independent teams that are kind of give that like anything can happen since. And then just think about the cool possibilities. Like, I wrote a couple down. Like, imagine if the Dodgers random draw got sent to play the Brooklyn Cyclones. Like, imagine the massive event that would be if the Dodgers came back to Brooklyn to play a baseball game. Exactly. In this tournament, and, and like, and not just that. Like, if you really want to make it all FA Cup, like you're, you're obviously for for like the Nation Series games, you're gonna let teams use their full forty man rosters. Maybe yeah. even maybe even everything. Up, maybe even up rosters to 50 in that case. Exactly. Up rosters is 50, you know, use guys. I think yeah, you like, have to have total freedom of motion. And like, there are also, there are ways to get this done quickly. Like you yeah. could, you could, you could have 10 run rule. You could end games after five innings, you know, you, yeah. you could move this thing along. Yeah. T- a 10 run rule for the nation series. 100, 100% makes sense. Cause like, yeah, you have to like allow for a certain amount of college rules, I think. Yeah. And um, and it's even and it's even more fun because let's say like you mentioned the college teams uh, come June the college World Series is happening, exactly. But like my thing is like you're like imagine if we had the setup where like LSU just won the College World Series in May, again, again in May <laughs> is playing the Astros who just won the World Series in a Nations League game, and then yeah. you, with NIL and everything you can kind of get around it. You know, I just think. The possibilities are endless. And yes, at the end of the day, like you'd have big league teams win it. And some years you would, and like, 
winning the nation series and the world series. Like that could be a massive accomplishment, you know, for a team like the Astros. You might have a team that's not in contention for the postseason. Stay in, you know, be invested. This is their thing, you know. Now r- remind me, what's the uh, what's the grand prize for winning the nation series? So the grand prize for winning the nation series is just a, a big trophy, and I, I think you would set up so every player on the winning team would get, you know, two hundred fifty, you know, a, a significant chunk of change. Yeah. The All cool right. idea I had is that if an affiliated team, uh, if a minor league club were to win the nation series one year, that team would earn the right to host the major league all-star game at their building in the future. Yeah. I like that. Like I got- think about how, cause I feel like that's like the one tangible thing you could give to award these. If the Toledo mud hens win the nation series. Yeah. And look, I don't think it's impossible that a triple a team could win no. one of these things. No, especially if, if with the draws, you know, if you're lucky, you could be a triple-A team that doesn't enter the tournament until like three or four rounds in based on a on a draw. Yeah, like give Toledo the MLB All-Star game. It'd no, be like, kind of cool. Yeah, like plus, like all three of us here have watched enough FA Cups, Carabo Cups, Classicos, World Cups, whatever you want to call it. Like if you put this in like a soccer-type environment with baseball, it's, it's 100% set up so that – sort of quadruple-A All-Stars can be can look like All-Stars for a hot minute. Yeah, exactly. And I think, like, the big league teams would have to take it seriously. Oh, yeah. if the Yankees didn't take it seriously and they lost to, you know, uh, the Yankees lost to the, the you know, Charleston River Dogs, <laughs> like, it would not go over well, you know? No, it wouldn't. It's like... Yeah, because you need to – it's just the right amount of controlled chaos that it could work. Just the right amount of controlled chaos. It can fit into the schedule. You know, you get creative. Yeah, like I, I, just, I, I don't know how many people here uh, have seen the the, the original Rollerball with, with uh, Jimmy Kahn, but this is something that there's so much money to be made. Like, like we were just talking about, just enough controlled chaos. And – it's just going to be fun. Like the more we talk about it, the more I actually want this to happen. Yeah. It'll just be fun. And like, look, maybe, maybe you don't start with everyone in the pool. Maybe you come up with some sort of staggered thing, but I understand why the NBA went to the end season tournament. It's like they need to create a new revenue stream, but I just don't see anyone taking it. Like the players will take it seriously once they're there. But right. the fan and like yes, having it in Las Vegas will give it that sort of glow. But I, like obviously, the NFL is never going to do this, right? You know, and hockey could do it, but I just think you it wouldn't be as kind of tightly knit because obviously hockey you'd have U.S., Canada, everything. Like not to, this is not a hockey podcast, <laughs> but I've always said like if one of our leagues is going to do promotion and relegation, it's going to be the NHL just because. Yes the lowest not counting the coyotes who play in a college you know small college ring like the lowest attendance figure the two or three bottom teams in attendance in the nhl are basically on par with the top two or three and you know attendance teams in the ahl so like what does it matter if you've got ten thousand people a night going to see the columbus blue jackets or the hershey bears if you're the nhl doesn't really matter 
not, you not, could have that sort of system. Not to mention just the crazy infrastructure that is independent minor league hockey that just keep yeah. that's the engine that keeps on chugging along. Yeah. No, it's, it's so it's it's a good it was uh, the NBA. I've always said the NBA and the NHL are entertainment products. Limit, you know, that's why I think they an NBA team will eventually be in Vegas, and an NHL team, even the the Raiders work in Vegas because it's like a Celine Dion show. It's like there's a finite amount of events on the schedule, and people go there. I yeah. am very skeptical about baseball working in Las Vegas, no. just because. There's 81 dates. There's not a scarcity and a demand like you have with football or hockey or basketball. And I know the, the Las Vegas, you know, AAA team has good attendance, but it's just like, you know, you don't want, I'm afraid that baseball is going to, the A's are going to find themselves being like the Chargers in Los Angeles. You are dependent on the other team's fans showing up to pack yeah. your stadium and, and spend your, give you money. Not not to mention you're gonna have to play home games in Las Vegas in the middle of summer. Yes. And even like, if you have an indoor building, it's just like it's yeah. And it might be fun for you know Yankee fans or do a, we'll do a bachelor party once and like it'll be fun, but like that novelty is gonna wear off eventually. Yeah, yeah. it's it's not sustainable. No. Anyway, Alec, what do you what do you think? You like the uh, baseball FA Cup idea? I do. And uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of sitting there thinking like in what part makes soccer so special is that like it's accessible everywhere and there's such an interconnectedness to the sport especially like at the pro level you know not even just in the fa cup and the champions league all that stuff like it becomes this whole spectacle that the entire continent of europe and then in some cases you know teams from asia are partaking in and so if it would be such a revolutionary idea to try to create something off of that model. Because as you mentioned, Josh, like, you know, you have Japanese league, like the, you know, Japanese teams who are incredible to watch. You have Dominican teams that have talent that are just waiting to, you know, rise to the occasion. So like, can you imagine a tournament? that's not only just like, you know, a team like LSU who has a player like Paul Skeens, Imagine them going up against a Japanese team with Roki Sasaki. And then, you know, then you got like Skeens going up against Murakami and Sasaki going to whoever was the, uh, was Dylan Cruz, you know, like all of a sudden you have just the best of the best, not just in major league baseball, but in just in the entire world going up against each other. And that's when you get like these incredible storylines and, and crazy moments that, you know, we know from anyone who watches soccer, like think of fun you know like it, it is such a revolutionary idea that i would love to see it happen it's going to take someone brave as hell to suggest it um the, and, the dry run of it should happen in the minors first like yeah. have, like spent like do it there like the first let's say two three years maybe roll in yeah. some of the affiliate leagues and the independent teams i'd agree with that like you, you know you come with like you know because now that they really don't have post-seasons Right, you know, or you know, the minor league cup or something. Maybe it's this built thing, and it's this elaborate, and you know, maybe it's even double elimination. It's just this totally wacky. Because that's my thing. Like the only teams you'd to pull this off logistically, the only thing you'd have to account for is the big league schedule, which I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but 
120 affiliated teams, 45 independent teams, like they're going to show up whatever the hell they need to show up. You know, it's like, yeah. and I think it would help because I, I don't really understand the whole concept. I get it. It's cheaper. And it, that's what Rob Manfred wants. But like this whole idea that like the rail riders go to Buffalo and they play the bison for six straight games, <laughs> including like games on like 11 AM on a Tuesday. And then that somehow is getting them ready to play in the big leagues. I don't really get that. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Uh, we'll close with this because we're eight minutes till game time. Uh, backtracking for Alec. Uh, James suggested this earlier, man. Uh, what if at the end of the year, the Yankees are hitting better, but miss the playoffs. Aaron Moon gets shit canned. Sean Casey gets his job. <laughs> oh, uh, I don't know. It's funny because all I think of when I think of Sean Casey is that TV personality of him. Yeah. Uh, so, but then again, Aaron Boone was a TV personality. It'll, it'll be interesting. Um, you know, I would probably like that idea a little bit more than the one you suggested uh, yesterday. Paul Mal- I think Paul Mahler, Paul Mahler. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we are getting to that point where Boone, I think, is going to be managing for his job soon. And so... If Sean and like I, I think I caught the tail end of it, um, where you were saying like Casey doesn't seem to be the kind of guy who would want to, you know, dance on his friend's grave, so yeah. to speak. Um, so yeah, that that definitely comes into play. But it's not it's not a crazy idea. Uh, it, I just it, think it happens. if they move on from Boone, it's like all right, you're keeping Cashman. Cashman's wildly unpopular, even more so after this season. I don't underestimate the value of like a friendly face to put on this mess. And I really yeah. think there's a chance that Sean Casey could be that. Cause like, let's be honest, like Aaron Boone, I wrote this, like one of the few things he's really good at right now is just snarling at reporters. Like it's, it's really becoming, I think a, a thing to watch the rest of the way from like a media standpoint is that, Aaron Boone does not seem to, you know, he just does not seem to be, and I think part of it is because he probably realizes he's getting walked down the road under the bus as this all falls apart. But Sean Casey is affable. He's gregarious. He's happy. You know, he's a, everyone's got Sean Casey stories. You know, if if they make a move, Cashman's going to want a likable guy to be the face of this disaster. And Sean Casey could be likable enough. And that makes sense because I think I think it was Heyman or Sherman in the post who said that they wanted to hire him in the wintertime, but his girlfriend was undergoing undergoing chemo and he wanted to stay with her. So so yeah, maybe that maybe it does make sense that he'd get the big job. One thing I also am I, I have no evidence to support this whatsoever. It's just a hunch. I don't think the Yankees are going to uh become so to speak the yankees again until they start fucking relaxing on these strict company rules that have been placed since george so if sean casey comes in and he's going to be the guy to be like hey facial hair long hair we need those rules back we got to let these guys be themselves and we got to create a more modern non-corporate culture around this team i truly think that plays some part in this like that like team culture used to be guys like the dynastic Yankees, their culture was they were so dedicated to winning and that they, and 
is we heard Jeter say a thousand times, anything short of World Series was failure. And the th- great thing about those teams was that was a shared singular like vision, ambition from the entire team. Right. It, and this generation of players, which is my generation, I am as old as most of these guys in the major leagues, they don't think the same way. And that's okay. It's just some teams have done a better job in modernizing with the incoming group of players, and the Yankees are trailing behind. And, you know, maybe Sean Casey in that sense, if he becomes the next head coach, becomes like a vocal, you know, supporter to and, and kind of speaks out to Hal and speaks out to Cash. And it's just like, we need to modernize. Yeah. We need to get loose in here. We need to have fun. We can't have this, like, you know, oh, it's the Yankees. You know, it's the it's, Yankee way. It's, yeah. Yeah. The Yankee way needs to die because the yeah. game's changed. Because, like, yeah, you, you said it. You said it right there, Alec. At some point along the way, the Derek Cheater's success with the Yankees and his career and, and his entire career, that that commitment to winning, it became it became less about okay, let's just keep this, let's just set the goal. We're going for the World Series every year. That's our common goal. It became like, not only do you have to win the World Series, you have to make it look as good as Jeter did when he was doing it. Yeah. Like, it, it's like, okay, like, th- this is this is the bar you need to meet instead when it should just be like former Cito, like former Blue Jays manager Cito Gaston said, just go out and play. Yeah. You know, it, it started a little bit with like, let the kids have fun. And we saw how much life was injected into Yankee Stadium and in the Bronx in general when Gary Sanchez and Aaron Judge were doing their thing. Yeah. And Severino was lights out. But, like, again, we – like, that seemed like it was going to be the ushering in of a new era, and it lasted for a few years. And then we're kind of right back to where we started in the 2010s, which is a dead team walking. And, you know, that that life, that vigor, that – you know, passion to play baseball. I don't see it. I, it, it it's concerning and something needs to change. I think on that end too, it's, it, it's not just this, like, you know, breaking down the roster. It's, it's an entire makeover and that's going to ruffle some feathers at, like, because, you know, the Yankees are based off of tradition. You know, there's nothing wrong with tradition, but in this case, it, it, tradition may need to die. Yeah. They have a, they have an insurance company's logo on their sleeve now, so I think at this point it's time to let the guys grow their hair out a little bit. Like, yeah, and the, as... the only the only thing left that makes the Yankees the quote unquote Yankees is John Sterling in the booth. <laughs> it's it's, it's uh, the truth. He, no, he, it's he true. is literally the last. He is the last bridge between what was and what is. So my thing is, the minute the insurance company went on the uniform, it's just you know let it go. Go get a go get him a shampoo deal, Hal. Official shampoo of the Yankees. They'll love it. Oh Lord. Okay. And with that, I think it is time to hit stop on this and watch the game. Luis Severino versus I think it's Griffin Canning for the Angels tonight. Uh, James, thanks for coming on the show. That was a great talk about your tournament idea. And like, yeah, I hope it happens. Hopefully it happens. Thank you for having me, guys. Of course. Uh, And uh, yeah, we will uh, see you guys next time.